as I've helped the plant Rise City Church right in the heart of Gresham. I have seen God move in ways that I never dreamed of. I've watched as young adults were willing to sleep in their cars just to be part of the movement. I've watched as fathers baptize their entire family, literal generations getting saved. I've seen scruffy-headed teenagers grow into men of God, leading this next generation in our city into a brighter future than I ever imagined when I first walked these streets. This has been the kind of move of God that you only hear about often other stories of other places but it's not happening in some other place. It has been happening right here in our city. Hearts are being awakened, lives are being restored, trajectories are being altered because Jesus is moving in Gresham as it is in heaven. Man, that's a really good video. <laughs> Guy's handsome too, what the heck? What's up if you're new? My name is Nolan, and I'm not always this much of a jerk. Really good to see you guys. You guys doing well? Good. Well, hey, uh, when I was like 18 years old, I don't know what you were doing when you were 18, but I moved to Kentucky uh, to be part of like a heavy metal band uh, so that I could tour the United States, particularly in the South, with this uh, kind of like Christian heavy metal band. And each night at the on different tour dates, we would preach the gospel to a bunch of uh, young people who would have probably not given an audience to the gospel otherwise. And so we wanted to reach people who were super far from Jesus. And I'll never forget this one night uh, because we met a very peculiar man. Uh, we would go to these different venues, and at one of them, the guy who owned this venue was just a guy who leaves a lasting impression. He was like this old kind of rocker dude. Can, can you picture him in your head a little bit? Like tattered up, Metallica t-shirt, long modeled, like shaggy hair with like the backward snapback over top of it. Uh, th this kind of guy. And uh, he was a believer who had gotten saved and given up all his business and whatever he was pursuing to like invest in this venue to reach a bunch of kids for Jesus. That's what he was about. And what was most significant about him to me as we, we came in and he just started shepherding us, like the owner of the venue caring for us, like we were his worship band or something like that. The thing that stands out most is the, the like otherworldly confidence he had in his eyes. Like just this deep, I don't know, anticipation that God was going to show up and he was going to show up to change the eternities of these young people that night. I just will never forget the way that he prayed. The way that he, it was like God was this business owner and he was at the business. And he knows the owner and he could take you into the back room, right? And he's like, no, 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 I got you. I know him. And he was just like accessing resources out of heaven. Like, God, we know it's your will to change these lives. Like we know that, that we are here on account of your will. And so we're asking you to show up in the power of this. You ever met somebody who prays like that? You ever met somebody with that kind of expectation? There really is only word, one word to describe when someone is that just anticipatory in their prayers. And that is the word 
expectant. We're going to talk today about expectant prayer. And we're doing this uh, as we continue in our series, Win This City. Win This City is about seeing Gresham, Wood Village, Troutdale, this whole region reached by Jesus and flipped upside down as it is in heaven. And so to do that, last week we talked about having a missionary mindset. Uh, And today, what I want to convince you of is that the scriptures present this kind of expectant prayer that we need in our lives. And so uh, you say, like, what do you mean by expectant? Is this some kind of like, you know, cheesy Christian buzzword that's like popular? So we'll talk about that. Well, uh, if you were to look up the word to expect in the dictionary, we get a few definitions. Uh, it, It is to consider probable or certain, to consider reasonable, due, or necessary, to anticipate or look forward to. Like, what would it mean if you were expecting God to move in in your prayers? What would it mean for you to believe upon God that he was actually already at work in Gresham? That's what we're talking about here. Like, we would say, uh, if you, you meet a gal who's pregnant, we would say that she is what? She's expecting. She's expecting. Listen to me. What if our church were pregnant with the hope that God was just getting started? What if you were pregnant with the full belief that God was not done in your family? What if, what if our, uh, our city were pregnant with something new by the power of the Holy Spirit? Um, what I am convinced more than anything else is that there are actually some of you who gave up hope that God could make a difference years ago. And today I want you to see that more than anything else, our city needs a church who is pregnant with this kind of expectant hope and prayer. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 4, uh, literally one of the most powerful passages in Scripture. If you have a Bible, open up to Acts chapter 4. You guys got Bibles? Good. Open up. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, it's over three quarters of the way to the right in your Bible. Book is called Acts, A-C-T-S. And we're going to chapter 4. That's the big numbers in your Bible. Go to chapter 4. And what we're doing is we are looking at a story where the disciples of Jesus are post-Jesus being on earth at this point, post his incarnation. They had seen Jesus die on a cross, their Lord and their rabbi, die on a cross in their place for their sin, resurrect from the grave. And then he had testified to his resurrection. And then he had ascended up into heaven and given them a charge to go flip the world upside down with the gospel. And so they are doing that. They're seeing miracles happen. And the Jewish elite, these religious leaders, take them in and they start to bully them because they don't want them preaching in the name of Jesus. That's where we find ourselves in this passage. So they've been interrogated. And we pick it up now in verse 18. This is, this is God's word. Let's look at the text. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them. (laughs) This is amazing. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Just even right there. Like, do you realize what a thug Peter is for the gospel? (laughs) Like, these disciples are gospel gangsters, right? Like, think about it. They got taken in. They're being interrogated. They are being threatened and bullied by people much more powerful than them. They're saying, hey, like, you can't be preaching like this. And these guys have the nerve, the audacity to be like, 
dropping this one-liner. All right, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. But we're going to go ahead and keep on preaching, dog. Like, think about, like, you can take, you know, the fisherman out of the lake, but I'm not convinced you could take the lake out of the fisherman, man. This is, this is awesome. Verse 20, we need some of that today, don't we? We need some of that kind of gospel thuggery. I don't know. <laughs> Verse 21. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, I notice this. They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, this is so good. What I want you to see as we step into this passage is that they pray with expectation in the face of the opposition. They have, they have opposition here, but they pray with expectation in the face of the opposition. Now, uh, it is always important that you pray, is it not? We, we agree with this. Like, man, we should be praying all the time. As a believer, as a follower of Jesus, the first thing you should do before you touch your phone is to pray to God. Like, we need prayer all of the time. But it is especially important to pray with this level of expectation in God when you face opposition. You ever faced opposition like these guys have before, uh, before us? Like, have you ever tasted when it, what it's like to be a Christian and have somebody say, look, like, I don't want to hear about that. I don't want you talking about that here. Um, some of us say like, man, I don't think I've ever faced opposition like this. But if this text is any pattern for the life of a Christian, I want you to mark my words right now. If you are a Christian, you will face opposition. You will face it in one shape or form. Maybe they won't interrogate you. Maybe they won't beat you up. But the truth is, there is a spiritual war going on underneath the surface. Like, think about what these disciples are doing to get themselves in trouble for Jesus. You know what they were doing in context? Well, verse 22 told us that they had been used by God to heal a lame man. To heal a, a man who was crippled. Like, like, think about this. We live in a day when we are doing everything we can as Christians and as churches to, like, be as, like, least, like, offensive as possible, don't we? We're like, oh, man, like, we were cool for Jesus. We wear skinny jeans or, like, baggy jeans, and we're cool. Like, please like us. Like, that's kind of the Christian culture we're growing up in. And so we're trying to remove kind of, like, the barriers, the unnecessary barriers. And listen, like, Rightfully so, right? Like, I am a firm believer that the gospel itself is offensive on its own, and so we don't need to add anything to it in order to make it offensive, amen? Like, I, we don't need to go out there and be bullies for Jesus just to, oh, we're being persecuted. It's like, no, you're not. You're a jerk, bro. Like, that's why no one likes you. And so, like, what we're talking about here is we, we try to remove the offense, and so we do everything we can, and there's some good in that. But here's the truth. You can do anything you want to remove the offensiveness of the gospel and be as nice as you can for Jesus, and Satan himself will ensure that someone opposes you. That's how this works. Uh, these disciples get a guy healed, and they're like, you can't be, like, healing people and caring for cripples. Like, forget that, bro. And the reason why is because you're doing it in the name of Jesus. And we can't be having that. 
And so what this means is you could literally today take, I don't know, like you and your buddies and go to downtown Gresham right there on Main Street, and you could be literally handing out puppies and like blowing rainbows on people, and someone will oppose you because there's a spiritual war going on underneath the surface if you preach the name of Jesus. That's how this works. And so this is also why their prayer here is so significant for us. Uh, This is why expectant prayer actually matters for the mission of Jesus. Because as believers, our tendency uh, when we get opposed in any shape or form is to respond in two ways. And that is we tend to respond by either bowing up or giving up. And by bowing up, what I mean is like, like this is like a phrase, like two guys get in a fight in high school and they're like bowing up, like, what's up, bro? Like, we're going to fight. And the Christian version of that is when we get all, now hear me, this is when we get all culture wars with our bad selves as Christians. This is where we start relying really heavily on politics. This is when we start just, uh, you know, um, demeaning and, and, and casting down the evils of the culture in our city. And we begin to be um, more defined by what we are against in the evil culture than we are defined by the gospel that saves sinners. That's what we're talking about when we sort of bow up for Jesus as though Jesus needed protecting or defending. The other option and the other tendency we have is to give up. This is where, um, as seen in maybe what we would consider more liberal theology, uh, the churches like the progressive, so-called progressive church and progressive Christians, where you just start to blend in with the culture. No, 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 we believe what you believe. We just, we're preaching your gospel now. Don't be mad at us. And sort of progressive Christianity is actually not Christian at all because it's given up on all of its core doctrines. Or in the more conservative version of this, this is where we say, like, we basically do the Amish thing, where we're functionally Amish. We're like, oh, man, like, the culture's evil out there, so we'll sort of retreat in here, and we'll keep our beliefs, those sound, to ourselves, and never do anything to reach those who are outside of our Christian bubble. And so we either have this tendency to bow up or to give up, but I want you to notice that the disciples neither bow up nor give up, but they realize this, that opposition is always an opportunity to pray for the power of God. They pray for the power of God. See, prayer is this kind of option C, like A, give up, B, you know, like, like bow up, try to fight, or C, you can pray. You can seek the face of God. And this is really exciting. I want you to see what this looks like. Because prayer obtains for the Christian the necessary resources to press on in mission. Look at verse 24. That's what it says. And when they heard it, those threats, they lifted their voices together to God and said, now I'll read this very carefully, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them. Do you guys see what they're praying specifically there? Did you catch it? See, um, they're not just praying with like, you know, intensity. They're not just like, expectant prayer is not about saying like, oh man, I just, I just believe really, really hard in Jesus. And so I start declaring things like, I declare that my enemies are going to be cast down in the name of Jesus. Is that what they're doing? Just praying with force and vigor, zeal? No, I want you to notice the details here. What they are doing theologically is they are praying God's nature. Expectant prayer prays into God's nature. 
Man, you have no idea apparently how powerful this is. It, it is so important to pray in accordance, to actually use the nature of God in prayer, his character, his attributes. Uh, and some of us have felt this. In fact, uh, raise your hand right now if uh, you uh, have ever been part of, belong to like old small church. Anybody in here? Like an old small church. Yeah, okay, there you go. Oh, come on. Some of you guys raising your hands like you're embarrassed. There's a badge of honor, bro. Like, I went to old small church for a long time. Raise your hands back up. Be proud of that. That's right. Yeah. Old small church. Because here's the deal. Old small church is amazing, you guys. It's way, they don't have none of these like newfangled, like these hip churches, connect groups and like community. No. At old small church, we did men's and women's Bible study, fam. That's what it was about. It was Wednesday night. You came in with homework done or you're kicked out, right? Old small church, legit. They didn't do these groups. It wasn't about like, oh, you guys have like Rise Academy and like a theology, whatever, dude. We showed up for Sunday school, baby. That's where it was at. You, you got in there at 7 a.m. and it was Earl, right? Like just KJV only. And you would just go in with that bad self. You know, it's things like this. Like, you know, we have, oh man, we have like hip fancy like coffee here on Sundays. Like don't even buy your coffee. We got good coffee here. It's Cova. It's Stumptown. No, dude, at Old Church, you had Folgers. You had Folgers with like the ground peach chunks, you know, like at the bottom. You remember that? That's where all the power was. You ain't never studying theology the same way till you've studied it over a cup of Folgers on Sunday morning, right? With a styrofoam cup at that. That's where it is. Love me some old church. But you know what the best part of old church was? It was the best part of old church is when you went back for prayer. When you went back for prayer, because it was always like Gladys back there, right? This unassuming, like 89-year-old woman. You had Gladys or you had Elder Bob, and they were just like, just, just unassuming, just called gentle saints of God. But when you went back there in the prayer closet with Gladys, and she laid her hand on your shoulder, you remember this? She would go into the throne room like you had never been into the throne room of God. And you know what? She had this level of confidence, didn't she? She would take you to the third heaven with Jesus in the name of Jesus. And where did old Gladys get this level of confidence? You know what? she did, she expected upon the nature of God. She would come in hot to the throne room, like, Lord, we know that you're king right now. And I've got this young man right here who has been in sin, Lord. And we're believing not on his faithfulness, but on yours, God. It's not about us. It is about praying the nature of God. Amen? And so that's what these disciples do. That's what disciples of Jesus from antiquity have been doing. By the way, that's why it is so important that you know God. (laughs) That you know God, not just in your own ideas and and the feel-good anecdotes and stuff you see on Instagram or whatever else. Like, we need to find God in His Word. That's why we do the Bible reading plan that's out there. It's studying God's Word and meeting Him in His Word, letting God define God, because that's where the power is when we pray according to his nature. And so let me just show you this. Look, they pray this word sovereignty. What does this word sovereignty mean? This is one of his attributes, sovereign 
Lord. And so just to give you an example of why they would seek these attributes. Look, what is sovereignty? The term sovereignty is a theological word that speaks to God's absolute and inescapable rule and dominion over every single atom in the universe. As R.C. Sproul rightly noted, if God is sovereign, then hear me on this, there are no maverick molecules. When you start praying the sovereignty of God, you better believe stuff is going to change in your heart and hopefully, if God wills, in this city. That's how this works. You pray some power into that stuff. And why would they choose sovereignty? Look, they had just been through actual hell on earth. And they want heaven to break in. They want the gospel to move forth. And so why are they praying sovereignty? Things feel out of control. Things feel out of control. So they're praying, God, you are the God who is sovereign. You are the God who is in control. And so let me ask you this personally by way of application. What attribute of God do you need to expect upon in this season of life right now? Like what for you are you going through? Is life painful right now? Man, we ought to be praying into God's goodness in that season. That God, life hurts right now, but I know that you are good. I know that you are good and I'm clinging to your goodness in spite of my circumstances. Are you struggling with sin? Are you struggling with temptation? Are you struggling with uh, guilt and shame? You need to be praying into God's strength and God's holiness in this season. Saying, Lord, you, you are holy and I, I, I have sinned, but you know what, God? I know that you cover me in your righteous right robe, white robe. Are you overwhelmed by trying to reach loved ones who reject Jesus? And maybe in this season, you need to pray into God's power and into God's peace. Pray to the God who loves those people more than you love them. Pray into his nature. Because when you start praying this way, your prayers will become more powerful. They just will. Because hear me on this, God always acts in accordance with his nature. He always acts according to his nature. Look at verse 25 uh, and 30. And that's basically what we learn from the rest of this passage. That they're praying to so- the sovereign Lord, but then they go on to start quoting scripture. But By the way, that's a great way to pray. Quote you some scripture as you pray. That's what they're doing here. And, and they, they trace God's sovereignty in the story of Jesus. Look at the text. It says, why did the Gentiles rage? Those that opposed Jesus. Why did, they, why did they rage and the people's plot in vain? You know what they're saying here? They're praying, God, how come these punks thought they could stand up against you? You're the sovereign Lord. How dare they even try? That's what they're praying right here. He goes on. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, that's Jesus, and against, or that's the Father, and against his anointed, that's Jesus. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. What they're talking about right here is that Jesus, God is sovereign, and he sovereignly, according to his powerful will, sent Jesus to save. And Jesus came to bring the kingdom and to save and to preach and to to transform everything. But here's what happened. Those who opposed Jesus, they they rallied against him. And ultimately, he found himself on trial. 
But this gets crazy when they're talking about this trial between these two governors, you know, Pontius Pilate and Herod, uh, going on in the text. Along with the Gentiles, he had a lot of enemies, and the peoples of Israel. By the way, that's their same enemies today. So Jesus is surrounded. Now notice what he says next in this prayer. So the sovereign God is surrounded in the person of Jesus. But what happens? They surround him, next, next line here, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Oh man, that's good. The Bible itself is so good, you guys. These enemies of Jesus surround him and all they can do, they, they think they're going to thwart Jesus' plan. They think they're going to end the name of Jesus and all they do in trying to kill him is actually further God's agenda to save every single sinner he, uh, that, that would be saved all throughout history. That's what they do. They serve his ultimate purposes. And so what do they pray? And so now, Lord, look upon their threats And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Look what they're praying. Notice that they're not praying like, hey, Lord, our enemies are big and bad and mean, you know, so that's their nature. And we're in big trouble right now and we're scared. And so we're praying that our concealed carry would pass, Lord, because, you know, like we're going to get killed. And so we just ask for you to destroy our enemies, like hook us up with, you know, uh, fortitude, God. We just, they're not praying what they would want. You notice this? And I'm not even saying you shouldn't pray for protection. Dad's in this room. You should always be praying protection over your home. You should be praying protection both in this reality, but also in in the spiritual realities. Claim the, the blood of Jesus. Pray the blood of Jesus over your home, dads. Amen? That's a good prayer. And yet, they don't even pray for their own protection. What do they pray for? more boldness in the face of the opposition. Lord, we want to live in accordance with your will by proclaiming your word. And so we are asking that we wouldn't be afraid, but we would have more boldness. Change us internally, God. That's a good prayer. That is a good prayer because expectant prayer focuses on God's will, not our desires. You want to pray powerful prayers? Man, pray God's will. That's what becoming mature as a Christian is is about. It's no longer praying just for these things that, like, I want, but letting my wants become aligned with Jesus' will in our city and Jesus' will in your family. That's what becoming a mature Christian is. I remember, I'll I'll never forget, I was, uh, you know, 16, got saved at a youth group, and uh, so we went straight through the Gospel of John. And my youth pastor was teaching out of John chapter 14, verse 13. And I was there at youth group. And you guys know what that verse says. Anybody, John chapter 14, verse 13, very controversial verse, or at least uh, proves to be, uh, it causes consternation for new believers. Uh, Because what it says is basically, Jesus is saying, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. Because this is basically what glorifies the Father. And 16-year-old me sitting there like, anything I ask God? You know, like, whatever. I was like, let's close in prayer. I'm taking this verse, like, straight out of context. This is what I want to hear. Like, he'll do whatever I want. You guys remember this, this verse? If you're new to the Bible, it's in there. Go look it up. And, and I, I remember going up to my youth pastor. I was like, how do I get this? Like, how do I activate this prayer right here? How, how do I get this one? 
And him knowing my sinful heart, he's like, I don't want this activated for you. He began to explain the verse in context. Is that, no, 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 it's that you pray in his name means you pray in accordance with his nature and his will. And so anything you pray, he'll give you. Because here's the deal, your prayers become more powerful, not by praying for what you want more forcefully, but by praying for what God wants more biblically. That's, that's what we're saying here. This is like my son, uh, Ollie, seven years old. Uh, he is constantly asking me for things, right? Because he's seven and that's what they do. And so every morning he's like, Daddy, can we buy a cat? Like a pet, like a pet cat. <laughs> and every morning I look at him and I say, Son, you know that I am a man of God. And every good Christian knows that cats are the spawn of Satan, son. This is not, like, in accordance with my will. Like, if you knew me, son, like, you would not be asking for a cat. You'd ask for a puppy, like, maybe, okay? And I'm not even promising that one. But this is, you got to pray in accordance with God's will, amen? We don't pray in accordance with our will, but, it, but with God's. And here's the deal. That means that you have to know the heart of Jesus, You have to know him deeply because your prayers will be far off from God's will until you are close with God's heart. You need to know his heart. And for some of us, that's actually bad news in one sense because today you came here and you don't yet know Jesus. Maybe you came here with somebody else. You got dragged here and you have not. Maybe you know the name of Jesus, but you don't know Jesus yet. Like you haven't received Jesus. You haven't believed upon him by faith. You don't have a saving relationship with Jesus. And so like in some sense, you're not praying in alignment. You're not yet praying in alignment with him. You don't know his heart, but here's the good news. What they're talking about here is the gospel. They're proclaiming that God has achieved the great victory on the cross. And what was that victory? Well, well here's the problem that that victory deals with. We are separate from God because of our sin. We are condemned in our sin. We, we, are, we, are, um, we are bound and slaves to sin. That's, that's what's going on before Jesus. But Jesus came to set us free on that cross. Because on that cross, he died in our place for our sin, taking on the wrath that we deserve, and bridging the gap between man and God that only the Savior could bridge. And you know why he did that? He did that so that you could believe on him by faith and receive his forgiveness. And you know what that does when you do? When you believe on Jesus, you enter a saving relationship with Jesus, and you become close to God's heart. He, he becomes father for you. The God, the father becomes your father. You are adopted as sons. Do you believe the gospel today? If you do not believe the gospel, today is the day that God wants to receive you to his heart. Some of you say, man, I can't open my heart to Jesus. You would be right in saying that. But the good news about God's sovereignty is that he can open even the most hardened heart that won't open itself. That's what Jesus wants to do today. And so if you're not a believer, believe on Jesus. If you are a believer, um, we need to practice this kind of praying in accordance with God's will. Big, expectant, and specific prayers. Amen? And so that's uh, actually what we're going to do. By way of application, we actually have these flags. Did you guys see those flags as you guys walked in? Those like hip stir flags, like when this city looks like that. Um, What some of the leaders in our church have been doing, and I just want all of us to do this, is they have been um, taking those, writing specific expectant prayers on the back of them. Prayers for mission. 
Prayers of names of people that you know that aren't saved yet. Prayers for the schools in this area. Prayers for lives to be transformed, for families to be transformed. And they're, they're writing those prayers on there and they're putting them in their house. Uh, th- these are different families that literally put them up in their house. And that's what I want you to do today. That you would go out there, that you would grab that flag, decide as a family or decide as roommates or decide in your heart that you would, what, what you want to pray on there. And so uh, that's that just by way of application that we would walk in this. Because it is crazy when you write a prayer and God answers it. I found this notebook recently um, that I had written in uh, back early 2020. I think it was even like before the pandemic. And so we're still like had faith and prayed big things. So we didn't know that um, we were entering the book of Revelation. (laughs) And I found this notebook recently. It it was like our family. We sat down, Ollie prayed, mommy prayed, daddy. we, We all had a prayer in there, these five prayers. And it was cool because like every single one of these prayers pretty much was answered, yes. And I could only see that over in 2022. And we're talking prayers like there was like a specific number on this debt I had, a certain thing, and, and I was asking God, will you, will you get rid of this for me? And that exact number came miraculously into our family. And, and it was things like um, we had this friend who had been struggling with cancer. And um, we'd been praying that her scans would come back clean. And in 2022, I text that friend. Uh, his wife is the one in cancer. And I was like, are her scans still coming back clean? He's like, yes, praise be to God. They're still coming back clean. And I'm going, oh my gosh, God, over and over. Now, Remy prayed for Mickey Mouse. And we're still waiting on that one. <laughs> but the truth is, wouldn't it be wild if God answered your prayers on that, on that flag? I mean, if... Every, if Tons of these prayers get answered. What would our city look like? Praying for boldness, praying for God's work to be done. I want you to see what happens when believers pray in faith with expectancy. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was what? What was it, church? Like the room was literally shaken by God. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. Their prayer was answered. Yes, was it not? They prayed. And and Luke, our author of this text, is drawing a contrast. Did you catch it? Uh, Earlier in the passage, we saw what? The rulers, the Jews who had all this power could do nothing. They had all the power, all the political power. But they could do nothing because of the people. Here, these disciples are shuttered up in homes, private, scared, praying, alone, scared before God, and the room itself shakes. You know, there is more force in private prayer than there is in political power. Political power draws the sword, but private prayer, as humble as it is, has the power to align with and move the very hand of God. God moves in strength when his people pray in accordance with his sovereign will. One of my favorite stories is back in the Reformation. The Reformation was this move of the gospel in the 15, 16, 1700s over in Europe. And uh, uh, basically the Catholic Church had become corrupt uh, and were teaching false doctrine. And all these people started to believe on the gospel as they were reading the Bible for themselves, which was an offense to the powers that be. And so uh, this movement is starting and it's going for 
uh, decades now, and there's this one man named John Knox. Uh, John Knox was wanting the gospel, wanting uh, Jesus to be proclaimed and the Bible to be brought to Scotland. It was already, uh, the gospel was already moving and advancing in other places, but he was like, man, I want to see this happen here. And so uh, John Knox was, he was abused his entire ministry. He was, uh, you know, he ended up being a slave. He was beaten. He, he suffered greatly. But John Knox was a man of prayer, despite all of it. He was preaching his guts out, and that man was praying. And there were three different rulers, three different queens in his time, who actually opposed him from the throne because he was meddling with the religious power. And they were seeing the gospel advance and they were trying to thwart it, trying to shut it down. And I love the third of these queens, Mary, Queen of Scots, wrote this. She says this about John Knox. I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of England. You know what John Knox's number one prayer was? Read his biography. John Knox prayed again and again, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. And by the time he died in 1572, Scotland had been transformed by the gospel of Jesus. What is going to happen as we pray like these disciples prayed? In expectancy, in accordance with God's nature, and in alignment with God's will. You guys want to practice right now? Stick a hand out. That was kind of British. Stick a hand out and let's pray. And as we pray... um, You can pray in your heart, but know that God hears you. And I I don't want you to pray exactly what I'm praying. If if you're not a believer today, man, we love you so much. Jesus loves you. He has, God has sent his son Jesus on the cross for you. Maybe this is your first prayer to God in sincerity. And for anybody in here, whatever you need to give to God right now, would you pray that in your heart? Would you make this time a sacred time where you lift that specific prayer, prayers of mission, prayers of hope, prayers of transformation that you may have given up on years ago. And as I pray, just lift that to the Lord. Heavenly Father, you are sovereign, and you are good, and you are faithful. Lord, you alone are worthy. God, we are sinners and broken people. God, we are desperate and destitute. We look at ourselves and lose hope, but when we look at you, Jesus, on that cross, we gain all the hope of eternity. And so, Lord, we count upon your nature right now, and we are believing that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as you taught us to pray, Jesus. Lord, hallowed be your name. You are holy. You are worthy. And so, God, would you do your will? Would you do, do your will in this room as people are praying over literally hundreds of things right now? From them to you, God, I ask that you would enact your will through these prayers. And even when you say no in some of these situations, I pray that we could see your hand, Lord. Would you give us that grace? Would you allow us to see lives changed? God, I pray over the person who did give up years ago. I pray that they would be restored right now, that their faith would be reignited, that they could borrow the faith of these disciples here in this passage and have it today, God. I pray that, um, Holy Spirit, you would infuse marriages right now that are struggling, God. They can't be on mission right now. They're hurting, God. We pray that you would restore them, that even literally after this service, there would be couples that say, I forgive you. Holy Spirit, will you do it? 
They don't even talk about it, God. They just, they just get restored, boom, by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. They work it out later, God. Lord, will you restore children to parents? Our loved ones who have strayed away from Jesus, God, by faith. Lord, we don't have, some of us don't have the faith to pray. But Holy Spirit, would you pray groanings too deep for words right now in this place? Jesus, I want to pray that you would give us more boldness. Some of us are being opposed. Some of us are struggling to advance the gospel. That our efforts don't seem to make any difference. God, would you make the difference? Even where we don't see it, God, would you just do that, Lord? We trust that you love advancing the gospel more than we do. God, align us with you. Lord Jesus, we pray all these things in your name, in your good name. And everybody said, amen. amen.